welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hi, this is Katie and this is Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Hi, I'm Brittany and this is Grindhouse Girls Podcast. This is Grindhouse Grindhouse Girls Girls Podcast. Grindhouse Girls Podcast. Grindhouse Girls Podcast. This is (laughs) Podcast. Uh, <laughs> so uh this week uh we are doing the brand new netflix movie released just this past september 4th uh as of today this is september 9th so uh this just came on netflix it's charlie kaufman's movie i'm thinking of ending things and we were yeah. trying to be very kaufman-esque with our opening if you can yes. tell uh this movie was a trip and a half I, this is one of those movies that, like, I read, I love Charlie Kaufman. I love him. And, but I was reading something, and a reviewer said that, and I thought this was perfect. He, they're like, some people watch Charlie Kaufman movies, some people survive Charlie Kaufman movies. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's like, that's like legit. Like, <laughs> it's true. I yeah. mean, and I'm, if you don't know who Charlie Kaufman is, he is known. My favorite Charlie Kaufman work is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless oh, yeah. Mind, which I think it honestly was the first movie I remember watching. And I think it was in high school the first time I watched it. And I watched it over and over and over again. And every time I watched it, I found something else in it. And that's one of the great things about his movies is there's so many layers to it, but not in like a pretentious way. Just in an interesting way. He's obviously a very um, well-versed person in arts and culture. He has a lot of poetry and, like, theater references and pop culture references. Kind of like an episode of Gilmore Girls, I would say. So, like, a fun reference. Less, like, uh, I'm full of myself. But he is predominantly a writer but he also directs and i was under the misapprehension that he directed most of his works which is not true most of the things i've seen of his he did not direct but he did direct this movie yeah he did um his directorial debut was uh sendeki new york which he actually also wrote the screenplay for it started the late yeah very started late great philip seymour hoffman which i think is funny because jesse plemons often gets like you know a lot of people like they're some people call him like a Matt Damon lookalike. Some people call him a Fillmore Seatman Hoffmore lookalike. He kind of looks like both actors, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting that Jesse Plemons was kind of cast as the lead in this movie. Um, Charlie Kaufman is a great writer. Um, so that's that's not even something that can be, like, argued. So uh, three of his movies, of course, being Eternal Sunshine, um, The Spotless Mind, being John Malkovich, and Adaptation are actually, like, um, are on the screen. Greenwriters Guilds of America's Top 100 Screenplays, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind is considered one of the best movies of the 21st century. I mean, just accolade after accolade. He's very smart. I think 
And I love Charlie Kaufman. And I'm I'm in the same vein as you. Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind is one of my favorite movies. I know I must have seen that movie 15 times. I love it. But he can be a hard one to take. Um, I wouldn't say his films are mainstream in the in the least bit, but I would say if anyone's is is familiar with Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, that's definitely the most mainstream of his movies. And even then, that's yeah. not a scary film. In the Maybe least. being John Malkovich years before I even knew who Charlie Kaufman was, it was very popular when it came out. And but it seemed it always seemed really pretentious from far away. But once I started watching it, which I believe Spike Jones actually directed being John Malkovich, I believe. That sounds about right. So I thought it was kind of like like pretentious but it's really not it's kind of goofy and silly like most charlie kaufman things he he has this way of like casting very well-known actors and putting them in like almost embarrassingly normal situations Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like uh cameron diaz is in that movie and she is like the homeliest i've ever seen her look in her entire life uh john cusack looks awful in that, I just, I'm not trying to be mean, but he looks like a real person walking on the street. He doesn't look like a movie star. And I think, and I haven't seen all that adaptation, but I think from what I've seen of it, same thing with Nick Cage. Like, everybody looks like a person. Yeah. And I think this movie does the same thing. He does a really good job of making sure people are real people, even yeah. if they're going through, like, like in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, spoilers, if you haven't seen this movie... But it's about a like a brain erasing service where you can erase your ex's memory, your memories of your past relationships. And so you can move on with your life. And um, that's kind of a heady thing, but it's such an everyday thing. Like I think of how Kate Winslet's hair, her, like she's one of those people who like, likes to dye her hair all kinds of different like rainbow colors like she has it green and blue in different scenes but her hair is always grown out like she's a real person who keeps forgetting to go to the salon every month and like jim carrey's always looking just real rough uh and i just i found it i find it very interesting that he makes sure people are very like normal people but they're going through really heady experiences and i like that because you can really put yourself in anyone's shoes and most of his movies transcend the plot to be saying something about society or life or love or whatever. And I think this movie definitely has a lot of thoughts, but it it was inspired by a book by a Canadian author named Ian Reed, who I've never read anything by him and I haven't read the book yet, but I did. We're not going to talk about the book yet until we get done with our initial talk, because I think that opened up some possibilities for me once I figured out what the book was about. Yeah, and um, so yeah, we Eternal Sunshine. Like, I love. I have to just say, I love Clementine, and uh, that's. I feel like that's one of Kate Winslet's most iconic roles. Why did she not win an Oscar for that? Oh, she should have. This woman, let me tell you, like, I mean, she was amazing as Clementine in Eternal Sunshine. She was incredible in Little Children. Um, but yeah, uh, what's great about Eternal Sunshine? There's definitely, um, I guess what you're what you were kind of saying is that it's really unique and weird scenarios that are still grounded in reality so literally like in the movie and spoiler alert but this movie did come out in 2004 so i mean it's been out for a bit um but 
Joe first gets a card that's like Clementine uh, has gotten her memory erased from you. Please don't mention your relationship to her. And like all their friends have gotten the same card. And of course, yeah. um, he's like, it's kind of like, oh, she got her memory erased from me. I'm going to get my memory erased of her. And um, but so you're like, you think you have like this very like surreal scenario. But then there's this very human and heart wrenching kind of story and it's very very believable so you're kind of like oh this is weird and wacky and there's some really weird and wacky things that's directed by michelle gondry of course and he has a lot of really cool um filming techniques that he does yeah. yeah everything he does is very um he doesn't do special effects so everything you see is like a trick of the camera in that movie which is amazing and, in that yeah. movie because like exactly. there's stuff where like kate winslet is playing an adult mm-hmm. and i mean not really because they're trying to hide. It's very it's very confusing. That's why I had to watch it multiple times when I was in high school. Because, like, what the fuck is going on? But, like, they're trying to hide in Jim Carrey's memory so she can't be erased. And so she's hiding as, like, his mom's friend when he's, like, three. So he's, like, they do this visual trick. It's kind of like if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings where they make Gandalf look a lot taller than the actors playing the Hobbits because of how they built the sets. It's all an optical illusion. And they do that kind of thing a lot. Which is just... It's trippy and it's really cool looking. Yeah. And exactly. also there's just like an elephant parade that I think they just happened upon. There, that scene's pretty cool too. But yeah, exactly. That scene they literally were like filming and then there was just a parade and they were like, okay, we're gonna pick up the cameras and just fill uh film Jim and Kate in like this very natural scene. And it's just like amazing. So I mean, it's just a incredible film and I love it. So of course, like and I was actually talking with this about a friend because like I had saw so I'm not going to go into this long story, but basically like I have read about my parents used to get issues at Entertainment Weekly. I read about the Eternal Sunshine, the Spotless Mind review in Entertainment Weekly. And I was 14 years old and I've always been that kind of kid. So I looked up, I couldn't go see the movie because no one was just going to go take me see this weird fucking movie. Uh, so <laughs> I read the screenplay online before I saw the movie. And the screenplay is so once again, we're talking about a Charlie Kaufman screenplay. It has a, such a downer ending. Like, it is a very... The movie is essentially the same, but I feel like there was a definite darkness that Michelle Gondry brought a lot of light to, Um, in my opinion. The well, yeah, because the end is kind of like... We and, know we were probably going to break up, but let's try it again. Mm-hmm. But... I, I always felt that was very hopeful because maybe maybe it won't end up that way. Maybe maybe yeah. they'll be okay. Also, don't erase people from your memories. You just gotta remember it. <laughs> in the original Gondry script, you see um, Clem as an old woman and she's going for it again and it's insinuated they've gone for it multiple times over and over and over again. Oh no. Well, I'm yeah. glad they didn't keep that ending, honestly. Exactly. So I think that says a lot for Kaufman as a writer because um, most of the movies I've I've seen, or even like Amelisa, which was written and directed by him, um, which is like a stop motion uh, kind of puppet movie. It it's it's an amazing movie. It's a very quiet movie. Um, and incidentally, um, and Katie, I might be pronouncing the name wrong, but David Fulis, who plays the father in this I movie, I never know how to say his last name, but he's uh, Professor Lupin from Harry Potter. Exactly. So I may be butchering it. I'm so sorry, but he actually plays the lead, Michael Stone, and Amelisa. Yeah. So- voices him um and that movie is incredible um it has a lot of very very human moments and since they're puppets it's incredible to see these like puppets that have mm-hmm. these very i feel some of the most human moments i've seen in a movie but it still kind of has a downer ending and that's where i feel like 
Charlie Kaufman does have this very almost dark side to him. Oh, like, yeah. His but it's so goofy part. on the way there. Yeah. Too. Like, it's so goofy and enjoyable most of the time. Like, even John Malkovich, which I, I admit, like, I don't feel like it's my favorite Kaufman. But it, even that, Synecdoche, I've seen a lot of Synecdoche. I haven't actually sat down and watched it start to finish. I've seen it in pieces. Yeah. Um, it's very depressing. Like, there's a woman who her house is just on fire all the time. And she, like, buys a house. It's kind of like a symbol for, like, yeah, I know my life is falling apart. But I'm still going to go through with it. Because, like, her house is literally on fire. And she's just like, it's fine. Yeah, she's like the dog in the cartoon. She's like, this is fine. No, so literally, <laughs> it's like she uh, she buys, she's like, I don't know, I like it, but it's on fire. And he's like, well, the, you know, the real estate agent is like, well, you know, we all, not all of us get to decide how we die or something to that point. And it's like, <laughs> and sure enough, spoiler alert, the house ends up killing her because uh, it's fucking on yeah. fire. Yeah, um, it's a really depressing movie, but that yeah, it's like funny too. What? I love, I said that movie did feel like an endurance test. I loved it. I thought it was amazing and it stuck with me when I watched it, but I was tired. I was physically tired after finishing that movie. Yeah. There's a, I think I've mentioned this before, uh, yourmoviesucks.org, the YouTube channel, Adam, who runs that channel, he has been trying to finish a review of Synecdoche, New York for years. And he still hasn't finished it. He will finish it eventually. He's working on it. He's done several parts, and, like, there's so much in that movie that you can have, like, a 10-part review of this movie, and each part is, like, a good 15, 20 minutes, because there's so much symbolism, and there's so much, there's so many layers to Charlie Kaufman's work. Weird how much you can tell it's a Charlie Kaufman work, even though he doesn't always direct his own work, and he predominantly doesn't direct his own work. Because I guess that's why I thought he directed more of his stuff. Because everyone talks about it being a Charlie Kaufman work. They're not like it's a Spike Jones movie. This is a Charlie Kaufman movie. This is Charlie Kaufman. Like, I don't even... I know that the director of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind has done other movies. But nobody thinks of it as his movie. They think of it as Charlie Kaufman's movie. Because his voice is so strong that all of his works, even though they have different directors, they all have this just vibe of charlie kaufman and i mean he's just a he's a really good writer and uh, i mean he's a treasure he is the film world frankly he is so he (laughs) and this is gonna sound so weird so i love charlie kaufman and once again i can't like credit him enough about how amazing of a writer he is and how amazing of a storyteller he is but once again i I do understand why some people get a little tired watching his movies sometimes. Definitely. Definitely. This movie, I almost think it's a blessing that I'm thinking of ending things is on Netflix because I think if someone went to a theater and spent $50 on tickets and stuff, I mean, it's COVID, but you know, even if it wasn't COVID going on, like if you spent $50 on a movie to see this, I love this movie. I really like it a lot. Um, but I think people will be like, I wasted my money if they don't like Kaufman-esque movies. Um, but I think if it's in, on Netflix, it's like, oh, like, if I don't like it, I'll just turn it off. And if I do like it, I'll keep watching it. Yeah. And I think, 
I haven't seen very many people talk about this on Facebook. Granted, it's only been out for a couple days. But the yeah. one or two people I have seen watch, they all kind of have the general idea of what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> like that's. I mean, I had that too, but I I did like I enjoyed it though. Like I was laughing at little things. Like there's one, <laughs> there's. There's so much comedy in this movie, but it's also drenched in such depression. Yeah. But, and I, at the same time, like, I feel like I always, there's a part in the movie, in this movie, where the girlfriend character, who has, like, eight different names in this movie, so let's call her the girlfriend character, played by, played by Jessie Buckley, um, who's a very talented actress. She's been in a lot of things. She's actually, there's a movie that she's in that's on our list that I really want to see called Beast. That I haven't gotten to see yet. And it looks very interesting. It's kind of a horror movie. Um, she is. She recites a poem. That she says she's written. She hasn't in actuality. But we'll get into that later. And uh, Jake. The boyfriend character. Whose parents she's going to meet for the first time. Is like. Wow I feel like you were writing about me. I feel like that in all of Charlie Kaufman's works. There's always a scene. That. I feel like he's staring into my soul and like psychoanalyzing me. Like there was a scene where Tony Collette's character is talking about her son being controlling and how he's like isolating himself. And I have been in a relationship with someone who has done something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, Charlie Kaufman, why did you come out with this movie now? It's weird. It's kind of like, it's kind of a response to what the young woman says to that too. She's like, well, I guess that's what all like writers hope for is that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, He does that to people, and I don't know how he does it. He seems like such a sweet, kind, unassuming man, and I think I love that about him because he does remind me of Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, but way quieter. Well, okay, in Synecdoche, like, when he gets older and he's just kind of like, it's fine, whatever. Um, Not when he's screaming, she's a fucking four-year-old, not that part. But, like, when he's just being, like, quiet and unassuming. Like, Charlie Kaufman's so nice and, like... He, I've seen him do several interviews with like little YouTube channels too. He'll do interviews with anybody. I think that's why I like him too. Is he'll he'll do interviews with a lot of people, and he's just very like kind. He almost reminds me, you know, he reminds me of Jim Henson and Mister Rogers, with a little bit of like, uh, David Lynch poured in. Who apparently he's a huge David Lynch fan, which makes a whole lot of sense. Which yeah. I didn't know until after I saw an interview about this movie. After I watched the movie, I was like, I see it. I see the David Lynch influence. He was like, I don't watch a lot of movies twice, but probably the movie I've watched the most would be a David Lynch work. I don't know which one. And I was just yeah. like, I got you, Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Incidentally, sense. I've never watched a movie twice for the podcast. Most of the movies we've done for the podcast I've seen, but this was the first movie I watched twice. I watched the first time for the experience, and the second time I just took notes. So I watched the... F- this is weird. I really enjoyed the movie, but... I kind of got, which again, I don't want to spoil anything yet. We're not going to spoil anything yet. But halfway through the movie, I kind of understood what was going on. At least I thought I did. And then I went back and discovered I did understand. But I didn't really trust myself to understand the second part of the movie. Um, the second part gets way more artistic, I would say. And less plot heavy. So I rewatched the beginning part and took a bunch of notes. And then I kind of like skipped through my favorite bits and the things I had questions about in the second hand because I was actually working on some other stuff the night before so I didn't really have time but I did this is like the first one I haven't really watched twice other than Dogtooth but I still watched most of it twice 
Yeah. Because there was a lot of layers. But I also did a lot of, I spent a lot of my time, like, I watched it the night it came out on Netflix. I watched it Friday night. And then I was out of town. But all day Sunday while I was editing, I was, like, watching interviews about it. So yeah. I was more interested in, like, the process of this movie than rewatching it. Because I liked the journey the first time. And I think it was, even though I saw a lot of stuff the second time, I think the the enjoyment was much better the first time. Yeah. Not in a bad way. I just think if you don't know what's going I don't know. I've had, a, I've read a lot of reviews where people are like, you should read the book first so you know what's going on and then you'll enjoy it. And I've, yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that. I've heard a lot of people say it won't ruin the book for you if you watch the movie first. It's totally fine to read the book and then watch the movie or vice versa. But it, you, you probably will get things sooner. In and the see, movie, if you read the book first, supposedly. See, um, I'm I'm a, what's the word? I'm a I'm a fucking teacher's pet, and I love analyzing stuff. So I'm not. I was like, I was determined. I was gonna write down all my ideas, analyze what I think it was going before I ever looked up the synopsis for the book, and then I was yeah. very pleasantly surprised <laughs> when I did read the synopsis for the book. I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. So <laughs> I know that's what like I was like, I'm pretty sure this is going on, but I'm not sure, but yeah. I'm pretty sure. And then I went and watched a review where someone had read, actually, I wrote down the review. It was a channel called Spooky Astronauts on um, YouTube did a book versus movie review. And she watched the movie and then listened to the audiobook like back to back, kind of like what I did with Dr. Sleep, where I was just like really obsessive with it. Um, and yeah, she said it definitely like, it's more obvious what's going on if you've read the book, but I, I think, I don't know. I think you can get what's happening Yeah, if you didn't, cause I so did get it, but I was questioning myself. Without getting into a lot of spoilers, uh, I, I saw a, tr- a quote from Charlie Kaufman. And I'm very much paraphrasing this, but he was just like, you know, I'm really interested in writing about memory because, you know, when you relive a memory, he's like, you think of you're telling the story to someone. Imagine like something happens and you tell it five minutes later compared to a week later compared to a year later. He's like, we don't even even in our own memory. We remember things different than they actually happen. And yeah. that's what like his one of his create his like centerpieces when he writes, he really is interested in that kind of device of how like when you're remembering something, how accurately are you remembering something? And I think when you take that approach to this movie, it makes a whole lot of sense. Yes, definitely. I agree. And there's apparently some stuff they took out of the movie that's in the book, but I don't I don't really think it ruined it very much. From what I can tell, it was, like, very minor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he definitely gave it a Kaufman twist, yes. I would say. Um, and I think he works so well in these explorations of, like, the human psyche because he's so good at like like making things really confusing like you are trying to remember something and you're going in circles and circles and circles through your brain but then also still making it make sense and feel real i don't know how he does it man's a genius i don't know movies he is already working on another movie due out next year that i think he's directing so frank or francis which is what he's directing, but there's another one he's written called Chaos Walking that's due out next year. And then he's also writing a screenplay for Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah. So oh, wow. That'll be interesting. Him taking on Kurt Vonnegut. That's uh 
I think it'll be interesting. I think yeah. he's, I mean, I, again, he's a very good writer. I also didn't realize he worked in television as a producer in like the late 80s and I guess the 90s. Yeah. He worked as a television producer. I mean, um, so that I could see that for sure. I will say this about Charlie Kaufman. And once again, I'm not dragging him because I do love his movies. Like there's not been one single Charlie Kaufman written or directed movie that I just, I didn't like. Even if I maybe didn't like the whole movie, I still liked overall. But he's definitely the smartest man in the room. Like without that, he's the smartest Mm -hmm. man in the room. But he is going to do what he wants and he doesn't care if you understand or not. He's just like shrug shoulders, like, you know. Yeah, he doesn't really care if you hate his movie. He's like, that's fine. I don't really care. Like, someone was asking him about Anomalisa and, like, do you think you're going to do more stop motion? He's like, I love it, but we didn't make enough money, so probably not. Although he did use the animation team from Anomalisa to make some animation sequences for this movie. So he's he's still dabbling in animation. Yes. Um, I guess we should get into synopsis before we get into spoilers. And Brittany, yes. this was your pick, so I'm going to shut up for a little while. No, it is. Okay, so of course, um, we are speaking of the movie I'm Thinking of Any Things. is on Netflix. It's a Charlie Kaufman feature. Um, basic synopsis is, despite her hesitations, a young woman makes a choice to meet her new boyfriend's parents in an isolated farmhouse on the edge of a rural town. And, guys, that is, like, I want to say that's, like, 80% of the movie. Like. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I don't want to tell people too much about the movie because I think the less you know, the more enjoyable of an experience it is. Um, Except I do think people need to know a little bit about the musical Oklahoma before seeing this movie. Or else some things are going to be lost on you if you've never seen the musical Oklahoma. Yeah, the the there's a ballet sequence particularly that uh, make a piece of shit out of you. No lie. Um, um, yeah, I mean, okay, this is where Katie goes on her Oklahoma rant. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if I've told Brittany this about my hatred for the musical Oklahoma. Oh God, I hate the musical Oklahoma. And some people may be like, it's because you don't understand the musical Oklahoma. No, I was in the musical Oklahoma. I hate it. And it's not that it's a bad musical. It It is a, I, it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Rodgers and Hammerstein have written some amazing, amazing pieces of musical theater. Sound of Music is one of my absolute favorite musicals. I literally watch The Sound of Music every day as a child. Almost every day. And I also had my hair cut in first grade, like Maria's from The Sound of Music, because I want to be like Maria Von Trapp, because she's so cool. Um, I was that kid. Um, they also wrote South Pacific, which in like the 60s or 50s, I can't remember when South Pacific was released. It like even dealt with like interracial marriage and racism. There's a whole song called You've Got to Be Carefully Taught from South Pacific, which everybody should listen to because it is such an insight into how racism is ingrained into people's brains and how people are taught to judge those who are different from them. They're amazing. I love Rogers and Hammerstein. They just kind of like Charlie Kaufman, they saw into the human psyche, but then they like, they kind of distract you with all this happy little music. And Oklahoma is the same way. The reason I hate Oklahoma is not that it's a bad musical. The music is great. There's some great songs in it. Um, I I couldn't stop singing Out of My Dreams today while I was driving home from work. It's a beautiful number. It's actually what leads into the Oklahoma ballet. Um, But there's three main characters in Oklahoma. Lori, 
Curly and Judd. And Lori is a farm girl who is in love with Curly and Curly's in love with her, but they don't want to tell each other they're in love with each other. So instead, Curly, I mean, not Curly, Lori decides to flirt with the farmhand, Judd, who is like shy and like a really big burly guy and has anger issues. And she decides it'd be a really good thing to lead him on and make him think that she likes him because she can't admit to Curly that she likes him because she's too proud. And then she and Curly ask to uh, ask, uh, she asks Judd to go to the stance and Curly asks Gertie, who I played when I was in Oklahoma. But they basically ask other people to go to a dance for jealousy. And um, then Lori's all surprised when she leaves her date to dance with Curly marries him and then Judd's all mad and tries to kill them at their wedding and she's like I don't know why when I led this person on with anger issues why he would want to kill us at our wedding I was like because you let him on bitch I'm sorry she's not a bitch but she's a very stupid person and she's a very mean person and so is Curly they're both mean to Judd and there's this song before the song Lonely Room called Poor Judd is Dead where Curly's basically like telling him like you might as well be dead no one loves you fuck you Judd Anyways, they're terrible people in the musical Oklahoma. I hate that musical. But this musical is sprinkled throughout this movie, which was so funny. And I think if you don't know the Judd, Lori, Curly love triangle and how messed up it is, then you probably won't get the ending of this movie. So I'm not going to spoil anything else about it because nothing like that really happens in this movie. But I think... You need to know that there's a very dark underbelly to the musical Oklahoma. Everybody always thinks it's this happy-go-lucky musical. Um, But yeah, literally right after Judd gets murdered at the wedding, everyone just sings the song Oklahoma because somebody comes on stage and says, Hey, Oklahoma's a state! And then everyone sings the song Oklahoma. And it's, it's a weird musical. I mean, I'm not surprised because Rodgers and Hammerstein weren't afraid to go to dark places. But everyone always thinks it's such a family-friendly musical, and it's it's kind of not. And there's a whole thing where, like, it's nothing wrong with being a morally gray character. Like, Elsa Schrader in, I think her last name is Schrader, Elsa, the, the rich lady who wants to marry Captain Von Trapp before Maria comes on the scene, is kind of a morally gray character. She doesn't really, like, adore the children, but she really likes Captain Von Trapp and she's trying, but she's not really like in love with him. She just thinks they're a smart match because they're both attractive and wealthy. Cute. She's kind of morally gray and she kind of like gets into under Maria's skin and kind of is like, oh, I can't remember what she says, but it's basically like, oh, so you're like cheating on God because you like my fiance, basically. Not really, but she just kind of like puts all these little like feelers out to be like, get away from my man, Maria. Uh, and then it freaks Maria out, and she runs away, and then it ends up fine. But she's kind of a morally gray character. She's not evil. She just, like, is a little morally gray. No, Lori and Curly, like, literally torture Judd, and then they're, like, surprised when he, like, lashes out in anger. And this isn't victim-blaming. It's a musical. These aren't real people. I'm just saying, like, if if you lead people on, and then you pull the rug out from under them, be prepared for what might happen. Like, you should not do that to people. If you don't like somebody, don't lead them on because you don't know what their mental health state is. It's very cruel. And I always felt bad for Judd Fry because he 
I don't think he's a good person. Obviously, it's not okay for you to stab somebody at their wedding. Um, it's not good. There's a lot of stabbings in Rogers and Hammerstein too. Carousel has a stabbing too, by the way. There's a lot of stab. Also, the original play of Carousel, um, he was like the main character, like used to beat his wife. Yeah. And it was a pretty shitty, they had a really shitty marriage. But then like in Carousel, they're like, no, he was just kind of a tough dude. It's fine. But, um, like, there's another stabbing in Carousel, too. Like, there's a lot of stabbings in uh, musicals. West Side Story has that, but that's not Rodgers and Hammerstein. But, like, Judd Fry is not a good person, but you can understand. If, if you watch the musical or if you've really studied it, you understand, like, yeah, like, maybe they shouldn't have done that to Judd. That was kind of mean. It's just, like, I hate people that tease people and the people are, like, flirting with people, but they're not actually interested it, there's nothing wrong with flirting, but it's like it, you you can go a step too far, and if you don't know what that person, who that person is deep down inside, you can get yourself into a really dangerous position. I think Oklahoma kind of like glosses over that, and I've always hated it. And I swear, my high school drama teacher said, "Hey, I want to do Oklahoma, and you can be Lori." And I said, "I will not be Lori. I will be Ado Annie or Gertie. I will not be Lori." I would rather be Aunt Eller than Lori. And she was like, what? And I was like, I don't like her. I think she's a bad person. And then we ended up doing um, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum instead, which I got to be Philia, which I loved. It was like my first big role, and I loved it. But, I mean, I love the music, but I just want to tell people, because also I hate Oklahoma, even though I was in it, but I was only in it because my friend Steven was directing it, and he asked me to audition, and it, I was going to be doing it with a bunch of my friends. So it was fun to do with my friends, but I absolutely do not like the musical Oklahoma. And I have a musical theater degree. So I just let people know because I feel like it does help you to know why the ending, why the ballet sequence is in there. And even yeah. though it does mirror the ballet sequence in Oklahoma, it's different music, which it's um, a, they had another composer actually compose the music for this. Um, and now I can't remember what his name. It was like Jay something. Um, Jay Wadley actually composed the music. Whereas they do intersplice music from Oklahoma. Um, the actual like theatrical music to this is really pretty. And it has a lot of Debussy. Debussy? I never know how to say that name. And like Stravinsky influences, and I and I think the music's really beautiful. Anyways, um, now that we've talked about Oklahoma, <laughs> do we want to go through the cast of characters before we get into spoilers, Brittany? Yeah, I figure we could just do a quick, quick rundown. So we do have Jessie Buckley; she plays a young woman. Um, we'll go over to we'll we'll go over various names in just a bit, I'm sure. We have Jesse Plemons who plays Jake. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, before we go into spoiler alerts, I thought it was really cool that the two lead characters were both named Jesse. I know that must have been fun on set. Jesse and yeah. Jesse, Uncle Jesse and Aunt Jesse. Yes, both both Jessies. Uh, Tony Collette plays the mother. Uh, David Bulis plays the father. I may be butchering his name. I don't know how to say his last name. I have tried so many. Someone said Thelus, and someone was also, someone else was like Thuis. Like Lewis, but with a th. That may make Lewis? sense. Yeah, I don't know. He's British. I'm sorry. It's Man. hard. It's hard last name. <laughs> hard Do you last... think it's a stage name or if it's a family name? I'm curious. 
I could believe with that one, it's a fa- it's a family name. Like I'd be very surprised if it was a stage name. Oh, uh, also by the way, he was totally in that terrible The Island of Doctor Moreau movie with um, uh, what's his face when he was really old. Oh my God, who's in the Who's the Godfather? Oh my, Marlon Brando. Okay, thank God. Who almost had a freak out? He was in it with Marlon Brando, the one that was like doomed, like the production was doomed. He was in yeah. it. No, that's that's that makes sense. Okay, uh, guy boy. Oh, is- no, yeah. his real last name is Wheeler. Oh, really? Wheeler. Born David Wheeler in Black Lancashire. His David. mom's last name is Thelus. Ah, okay, that, that makes that's sense. Thing people do. Okay, perfect. So I good to know. Uh, guy boy is the janitor, and then Oliver Platt is the voice, and uh, I. We'll get to who the voice is, like, the character, the voice. You know who it is. Spoiler alert at the ending. So I was really excited about Oliver Platt being that character. I was like, why do I know this voice? Like, I was like, this sounds so familiar. Also, there were a couple other people that um, I was really excited were in. Well, actually, one person, but all... There were there was this there's this interlude of a romantic comedy movie that someone's watching in the movie and they like make up their own and at the end it says directed by Robert Zemeckis which apparently was just a random add in they just picked a random director but they're like hey he's a good director so why yeah. not so it's funny with the Zemeckis thing so supposedly the reason that Charlie Kaufman picked out Zemeckis was that him and Zemeckis were supposed to work on a movie together a couple back uh, years back and I forgot the movie. But the project ended up falling through, and they both left the movie. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was interesting because he goes, "Yeah, the movie is definitely more like a um, guy." I forgot the female director. Nora Ephron. Not Nora, Nora Ephron. Ephron. Another. It seemed another, like a Nora Ephron movie, though. It was more like a. Um, there's another uh, female director that's like does like. Oh oh oh! Mm, not Sofia Coppola. Um, Marshall, like Penny Marshall? I feel like it was like Nancy something. I could be losing my mind. But he said, like, the movie is definitely more up her alley. But he goes, I just thought it'd be funny to say Semeckis, uh, because he's like, I did work with him. And, you know, they were okay with that. Like, they got, yeah. I read an interview where he was like, it was just kind of random. It wasn't really a reason, but he did make a lot of really popular romantic comedies. So, and he was like, I don't know. It just kind of came to me. But it's probably because he had worked with him. That he was like, yeah, we'll put Robert Sam. Oh, Nancy but, Myers. I think that's what I was trying to think of. Nancy who? Myers. Nancy Myers. Oh! Nancy? Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, she does do a lot of, like, romantic comedy. I, I don't love a lot of them. There's been some cute ones. Like, I feel like she had a lot of strong ones in the beginning. And then, like, all the other ones I've seen of hers have been kind of, like, kind of a yawn. Sorry. Sorry, Nancy Myers. It's just, I think they're, like, I feel like they're, like, grandma comedies. I don't actually yeah. watch a lot of uh, romantic yeah. movies. So. I don't anymore. Like, the ones in the 90s were so good. Oh, yeah, she was. Yes. So I, recently, I know I knew the name. So I recently rewatched The Holiday uh, with Kate. Yes, Lewis. that's a good movie. And she, and she directed The Holiday, so. Yeah, I like The Holiday, but I remember my one of my best friends gave me It's Complicated starring... Uh, Alec Baldwin and Meryl yeah. Streep. She gave it to me for Christmas. She said, this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. I laughed three times. Yeah. And I just did not think it was funny. Maybe if now that I'm a little older, maybe I'd laugh. But I love The Holiday. And she wrote the screenplay for the new version of The Parent Trap. 
and oh, the father of the bride movies too and she also uh did something's gotta give which i actually love that movie and I, private benjamin as well she wrote so i mean i think she she's not a bad director i'm just saying like i don't know like i saw i love oh and she directed what women want which is iffy but yeah a, i i would say it is definitely a nancy myers kind of movie but what I was going to say is the girl that plays the lead in that little interlude is Colby Minifee. Um, She plays Yvonne. And then jo- Jason Ralph, who I don't really know who he is, plays her boyfriend. She's been in Jessica Jones as Jessica's weird neighbor. Um, and then she was also in The Boys. If you've seen The Boys on Amazon, she's like an assistant to one of the superheroes in the boys and I just I think she's really funny and she's kind of like she just looks like a normal person and she but she's always like good at playing like neurotic characters and I just want to give her a shout out because seeing her in that little interlude was like oh my god I was like I know this is a fake movie because I don't think she would be cast in like this kind of a lead I think she would because unfortunately Hollywood would cast her as the best friend character or the weird neighbor character I do think Charlie Kaufman probably would cast her as a lead though because she's pretty funny and pretty talented actually her character has an interesting arc in jessica jones the tv series if you haven't seen jessica jones i think it's the best uh marvel tv series in my opinion but that's all the characters that really there are yeah that's all the main ones so yeah i think i think we should officially dive into spoiler alerts there's so much to unpack still (laughs) There is, um, so I guess like the first thought I had, and I watched the first go around, I watched this with Taylor and, um, you know, she, from the beginning, she's like, I'm thinking of any things. And obviously what I took is the context of the relationship and Taylor was like, is she thinking about killing herself? And I'm like, you know, as the story progresses and by the end of things, I think I'm thinking of any things could definitely be an illusion to ending things. It's not just an illusion. Yeah. It is the whole premise of the story, which I think is very, I love that it's a double meaning, but it's not super obvious. But then also like once you know what it is, it is like, that's, that's the thing I kept thinking. Cause we kept seeing the janitor character in the yeah. beginning. And I was like, I feel like he's going to die at the end of this movie. Like something sad is going to happen. And then Jake keeps saying things, like, about the school that he went to, but he knows too much about it to just, like, have gone to school. Like, I don't know how many bathrooms my old high school has. And he's like, yeah, it has, like, 11 bathrooms and 135 classrooms, and there's 11 feeder schools. And I was like, is he the janitor? Yeah, they're saying, so they allude very, very early on that that Jake and the Jander are one the same person. So I think, like, if by the middle of the movie, like, this is mean, I'm sorry, if by the middle of the movie you may not understand that Jake and the Jander are the same person, I think you may not have been paying attention because I feel like it's heavily alluded to, even from the beginning. Because there's even things that they say, like, during the dinner, she, she says, you know, you remember when your 50th birthday? And yes. Correct? You're like, yeah, or even like um, he talks about he's like years later I'll see the kids in the productions from the productions of Oklahoma and stuff, and years later and it's like he's in his early thirties. So you would think like, mm-hmm. how many kids are you going to see in how many different productions of Oklahoma? Because you're not going to do the same musical back to back to back. It's going to be probably like three or four years in between you do the same musical, right? Unless yeah. unless they live in Oklahoma and they just decide that they should do it every year. I think that isn't that in Watchmen. 
they're doing Oklahoma in the beginning of it. Remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. They are, but they're doing an all-black cast, which was kind of cool. Oh, also, they did a new revival of Oklahoma where everyone's, like, trailer trash. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot more guitar. And I thought that was... It was actually, like, I was, like, good. Because every character in that movie is... In that play is trash anyways. But it actually was a very interesting take. And, like, the girl that played Ado Annie is actually, like, she's a, she's in a wheelchair. And she, she like, is best, so... She, she did. She won, the she won a Tony. She, yeah. She's amazing. I cannot remember her name. But, God, she was amazing. Her voice is spectacular. She's a strong... That's the kind of voice that I want to hear a strong female character like Belle from Beauty and the Beast or the main character from La La Land have. Have someone like that play her because she has a strong, beautiful voice. Sorry. Off my soapbox. But, yeah. I understand. Um, So, yeah. And there's also some things. So, the first watch, you're like, okay, this is interesting. The second watch, you're just like... Ah, it's right there. So it's like, yeah. she's like, I'm thinking of ending things. And he's like, huh, did you say something? And it's like, he almost can hear her. There's a definite connection that despite their disconnection where she's like, yeah, this relationship isn't going to work out. Jake, my boyfriend, he's kind of my new boyfriend. Uh, it's like, we know each other six weeks, but then it's also alluded. She's like, yeah, we've only been together six weeks, but I feel like I've known him forever. Like, all these. Well, yeah, and things just keep changing. And I mean, I think the other thing is like, if you don't understand the janitor is Jake, okay, then you weren't paying attention. The other thing is, if you don't, the, the, they very early on, this is much later in the book, but very early on in the movie, they hint that um, the girlfriend is Jake too, that everybody is Jake because they're all figments of his imagination, which usually would ruin it, but it's more of like, I think the girlfriend is not real. But the parents are memories of his real parents. It's not so, because that's why he sees them go through their entire life cycle because he's seen them in all stages. But there's yeah. a that photo part where she sees herself in a photo at his parents' house. And she's like, is that as a little kid? And she's like, who is that? And he's like, you can't tell. And then it turns back to him. And she's like, what the hell? And that kind of, they don't completely tell you until the ballet sequence. Yeah. And then it's kind of more uh, yeah. It's, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff. I, also the fact that the, like I wrote down like hints about the ending. The girlfriend's name changes like every other scene. Like she's yeah. Lucy and then Louisa then Amy then Lucia. And, and even so the scene you're talking about when uh, the janitor is watching the Robert Semeckis film and the character's name Levon, Yvonne and then they call her oh. Yvonne in the next sequence. Yes. I was yeah. like, there was another one and I couldn't remember um, the other. Honestly, that sequence and- was so cringy. I could only watch so much of it because like, I was like, oh god. This, these kinds of movies are so cringe. They literally, um, he also calls her Ames and she's like, yeah. Ames? Like, Amy? That doesn't sound like my name. And it's Is like... Is that my name? Yeah. yeah. So there's just like little things like that. I actually, the second time I wrote uh, I watched it every single time her outfit changed. I wrote it down. Yes. It yeah. happened a lot. And it, it kind of changes. The parents' outfits change too, but Jake's never changes. Yeah. Which is why, like, he's the real person. Because, like, and if I went into this movie, I don't know if you were the same way, but I went into this movie thinking the girlfriend was the main character. 
and yeah. she was the real character, but then it turns out it's all about Jake, which I don't think is, I think is interesting because he's like the most passive character of all the characters. But it makes sense that everybody's a figment of his, like a memory of, of his. I, I don't think a, a girlfriend ever actually existed. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think if anything, I'm not absolutely sure, but it makes me wonder if Jesse, well, Jesse Buckley's character, the young woman, if it's almost like she's someone he may have saw that he always wished he had kind of done the shot with and he never did. I think that's what is implied, but I wonder if it's if she's an amalgamation of many girls yeah. because the the story of how they met keeps changing. Yeah, also her profession. She's a poet, yes. a, a quantum physics, uh, and then, you know, even she grew up in a farmhouse, but later she's like, oh, you know, I don't know what it was like. I grew up in an apartment. And yeah, so, that's like in the yeah. same scene. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew this movie was going to be a trip, but I thought, because in the in the trailer, and this is trailers misleading us, because I did watch the trailer for this one because I was so excited about it. I was like, I don't even know what this movie's about. I'm so excited to see it. Um, in the trailer, they specifically mentioned the quantum quantum physics. And so I thought maybe this was going to be like almost like a bending time and space kind of movie. And she was going to be like traveling through stuff. And it was just going to like be encapsulated in this visit to his parents' house. I was like, oh, no, it's it's much more emotional than that. And much more about his introspective. And like so much of everything's about Jake. Like, uh... And all, like the Jimmy the dog thing just appears out of nowhere. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but he, his mom mentions this diligence pin that he used to wear yeah. all the time. Two scenes later, he's just wearing it. I thought it was very, very sad. So the whole thing with his mom and dad and like you already brought up, like we see them at different points in their life, like middle age. And then we see them like with dementia and near death. And I, I couldn't help but feel like in Jake's mind, there's like a disconnect. Like he feels like an outsider in his own family because his mom mentions, she's like, yeah, I'm so glad he found someone to talk to because ever since he's like been nine years old, we couldn't understand a word he was saying. And, you know, oh, I'm so glad he found someone as smart as him. And so it's like to him and I, you get that with the bone dog poem in the very beginning of the yes. movie where they talk about how awful it is to come home. And that resonated with Jake so much that he literally can memorize that poem. And I keep thinking about how, like, if he brought a girl home and he keeps reliving these different stages of his parents' life, there was never a right time to introduce her to his parents. Yeah. Well, and I also feel, apparently there's a brother character in the book and they cut that out of the movie. Um, But I do think he never really felt fully accepted by his parents yeah but the sad thing was like it's such a realistic um situation because like some parents i i don't know what it is but some parents just like it's not the kid this is all in the parents they obviously don't see the good side of their own children the value of their own children sometimes and they're always so surprised that they've accomplished something or someone loves them and it makes me so sad that there are people out there who their parents feel that way about them um I've been very lucky that my parents are not like that yeah but like I've had and it's not just this this was the most recent thing but I've had friends where like I've gone to their house and their parents like oh I'm so glad they have friends and I was like what the fuck are you talking about they're great people and I don't know if I just 
have friends who have parents who don't love them or something, but I just don't understand it. Cause like, I don't, I don't surround myself with people that shouldn't have friends. I generally, all of my friends are, I don't have a ton of best friends, but that's because like they're the best friends I do have are people that I trust very much. And like, I don't know, you kind of earned that friendship, not with me, yeah. but I'm just saying like, I, you know, it, it's a good thing. You shouldn't have more than like five or six best friends. Yeah. No, you know? I, I would, I would say like, maybe I have like six, like people that I feel very, very close to that I can confide in things. Um, so yeah, I would agree with that. Like, um, now I always, I like to say this as like a preface is that like, my parents love me very, very much. I never doubt my parents' love. But I do feel a kind of kinship with Jake in that he feels like an outsider in his own family. Um, with me, the reason I feel that way is because I've always had, like, these grandiose ideas about, like, everything. Like, I can't just read something. I have to talk about it. I have to talk about movies. I have to constantly, like, be mm -hmm. talking and, like, sharing knowledge and... It just, like, I've always been in a family where I can have, my family can watch a movie and be like, I like that movie. And I'm like, but no, I need to talk about it. I need uh -huh. to dissect it. And, like, and it always felt like, and even, like, reading, like, I love reading. And, like, now my my nephews and my, my sister are young teenagers. And none of them are, like, big readers. None of them really like movies the way I do. And it still kind of feels lonely just because there's no one to really divulge Things with I me, mean, I have you, and I have the podcast. I, I was like, yeah. that's like the podcast, because I'm this, yeah. I'm not completely the same way, but my mom's, I love my mom, and my parents are very supportive of me, but exactly. sometimes I'll talk about a movie for such a long time, and she's just like, how can you still, like, have questions, like, she's like, I just, I don't understand how you're still talking about yeah, like not in a bad way, but just in like, a, she just like, like, they run out of fuel at some point when it comes to movies. My dad... It depends on the movie, but, like, he could talk about Star Trek for, like, forever. I definitely get it from my dad's side of the family. Like, he's very good at analyzing stuff. But, like, yeah, sometimes I'm just, like, I get work. Like, I'm, like, oh, this movie and blah, blah, blah. And, like, people just, like, I'm, like, oh, they're not listening to me anymore. I'm going to. Yeah, you see the eyes glazed over. And You're, like, sorry, I get it. <laughs> They're, they're nodding, like, they're politely listening to you, but at that point, they're not engaged, and you're like, I'm just gonna shut the hell up, because yeah. not, you don't want to bore people, but you're just excited about it, and it's, and, it, you know, some people feel that way about football. I'm not a huge football person. Okay. I do play fantasy football, but I'm basically just an extra body, um, but, you know, like, I, I glaze over after, like, like, I'll be like, oh, that's cool. They're going to the championship. That's cool. You when you start talking statistics in football, my eyes start glazing over. I'm just like, cool. It's not that I dislike it. I just like I don't have I don't like to analyze sports as much yeah. as I like to analyze movies and film movies and film and music and you well, know, uh plays and things like that. Like Oklahoma. Who thinks about Oklahoma that deeply? Me. <laughs> And no, I like it. I like it. Um, I did thought there was a, a, a few other things that were interesting. So I may be pronouncing it wrong, but I tried to phonetically write it out. Ipsadi. That was like his team. I think she said Ipsity. Ipsity. Okay. It was so the first I, time I'd heard that word. <laughs> me too. And so I had to look it up. It actually means selfhood. And I thought, considering that the whole movie is kind of like his it's like an idea of like uh -huh. 
a story creates in his head as well as memories. I'm like, it's funny that this is all selfhood, and that's like even the team's name when they had their meet yeah. cute. It might be Ipsaity too. Maybe it might be that. that sounds more correct because I phonetically wrote it out as IP dash say dash ah at D. So yeah, I think it's Ipsaity. I hadn't heard it was kind of like the first time I heard the word id, and I was like, that short word is so interesting. I uh, uh, so complex. I uh, I also had wrote down a quote that his mother says, and it says, "You work very hard, but you're not very bright." And <laughs> she keeps saying that. I was like, "Oh no!" I feel that. I remember. Um, so I had a drama teacher, not in college. I won't specify what drama teacher it was, but I had a drama teacher um, when I first got, got cast in my college play. My first my first time on stage in college, I invited him to the show and he goes, I can't make it. I'm very proud. You know, you don't have the most natural talent, but he's like, you work very hard. And even years later, this is probably like 12 years later. I still think about that sometimes. Why would you say that to someone? Yeah, I Just still strike that about one that line out. So when we talk about like Charlie Kaufman, like talking to you I'm like yeah it's like talking to me so I oh my god fuck you dude I'm sorry (laughs) yeah I mean I get it it. and going back so incidentally small off off sidetrack as we call it that's like telling someone you you used to be obese but you're not as fat anymore yeah that is so oh god so, since we had a little talk about Pixar, um, Monsters University, which is a prequel to Monsters Incorporated, is not my favorite movie. But there, there is a like a storyline where Mike is trying so hard to be a scarer, and he doesn't have the natural talent, but he has a passion for it. And I understand that. I don't really have a natural talent for acting, but I have a passion for it, and I love doing it. And that's how I kind of got into directing, which I think is funny how, incidentally, in that storyline, Mike becomes kind of Sully's assistant in helping him become a better scarer. So those type of things, they are things that are said to people every day in the real world. I mean, it does happen. Everyone's got to have a Simon Cowell, you know. But also, like, I don't know. It's not like you were... I don't know. It, it'd be one thing if you were like, come see me. I'm the star of this thing. And then somebody was really bad at it. But when you're just, you're playing a role that you fit well into in a play and someone says something like that, just piss. I don't know. That pisses me off. That, that doesn't need to be said. Dude, you need to, that person needs some social cue lessons. And this is a teacher. So. Yeah, I, I feel bad for a, students. There. Okay, so it's like, I love this, though, because like I said, I, I, I remember what it was like to be someone lonely in their room and that kind of being like a safe haven. And I love the scene where the young woman goes into the room and everything he ends up like talking about, having conversations we're about in the movie is kind of in that area. So, um, mm-hmm. which he even mentions, because you see ice. So, you know, the second time around, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, he talks about ice. So, Pause the movie, had to read up a general synopsis of ice, and it's like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Everything's snowing. So I was like, oh, okay, so we get the snow from there, like from ice. Got it. Um, I thought it was really cool because there's also just a quick little tidbit. Uh, you probably caught this too. Tony Collette talks about losing her head. 
she's like, I lose my head. This mm-hmm. I attached to me. I was like, clever. Ha ha. Um, so I was like, nice hereditary reference. Um, I also, um, so I thought one of the more interesting scenes for me, um, and this is my only kind of real dig at the movie, which I know we'll get into later. So I thought some of the conversations were meandering. Um, I thought they were interesting. They just went on a little too long. Um, but I did love the uh, conversation about a woman under the influence because it's like she's talking and suddenly out of nowhere, mm-hmm. there's a damn cigarette in her hand. Her accent like completely changes and I'm just, uh-huh. what the fuck is going on? And then I looked it up because I was like, this is definitely like the way, it's like the character talks even in a completely different way. And what mm-hmm. it is, she's actually... Um, the reviewer, and I actually, I'm ashamed to admit I did not know this reviewer, but her name is, like, Pauline Kell, and she is literally, like, verbatim reading the review of a woman under the influence. That's what that Oh, okay. Yeah, it's verbatim, the review that influence. Yeah, that was also the part that I wrote in What Did I Not Like, that part. Uh, I, it's long and boring, but I liked her performance. Yeah. I like Jesse Buckley's performance, but I was like, it went on way too long. That yeah. was, but I mean, I think that's the part I fast forwarded through on the second watch. I will I was admit, just like, I got it. I'm done. Another thing, and this is awful, uh, probably another reason I like that, <laughs> that part is that the main character in that movie's name, Mabel Longetti. And so Mabel oh, kept yeah. lifting her head up, like, and I was like, it was <laughs> <laughs> <Mabel's> like, me? <laughs> Mabel's I know. I'm like, so what? They're saying Mabel. You don't hear that Mabel. name too often. Um, but I did That's like Brittany's that. dog, if we haven't said her name enough, by the yes. episode so, yeah. 23 or whatever this is. Mabel, girl, Mabel's my baby pup, and she's about to be four. So, yeah, and uh, Mabel's a great name, but it's not a name you hear very often. Um, but I thought it was interesting because, in a way, like, Jake is talking about the movie. He loves the movie. And with that review... She kind of just tears the whole movie apart. She's like, you know, it's too grandiose and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's just going on this tangent. And you just see it kind of fade from Jake's face where she's making all these good points. But it's still like it's a struggle because, like, I don't know if you ever had, like, someone you admired that you're like, I love this movie. And then you're talking to someone about it and you really admire them, whatever. It's like another friend, a teacher, whatever. And they're like, yeah, it sucks. And then they give you all the reasons it sucks. (laughs) You're like, oh, you have some good points there. It's painful. Yeah, I, yeah, that's definitely the part. Do you think, by the way, that the girlfriend, I kind of just wrote down, like, do you think the girlfriend is supposed to be all of his positive thoughts about himself, whereas the parents are all his negative thoughts about himself? Because it's not like his parents are overly, they are a little overly negative, but they're not mean to him. But it's almost like every, like, little fault he has, his parents bring up. Whereas the girlfriend is always, like, supportive and building him him up. And every time she thinks, I'm thinking of ending things, she kind of interrupts herself and changes subjects so it's more happy. Like, I wonder if she's, like, the positive version of him. Like, the non-suicidal I, version. I think that could be a possibility because there's a scene in the farmhouse where she hugs his father. And she cries and she hugs his dad. And it's almost like... It makes me feel like maybe she was able in in that like character she was able to accomplish something like maybe Jake had wish. I think with his parents it's more like he I think it's me personally 
Um, I think it's like a defense mechanism that maybe he misses his parents, but to make it easier on them, he's remembering the negative things in his relationship with them. Um, I, I think that happens a lot sometimes if you grow up, you grow up in a situation where maybe even if you weren't like physically, mentally, emotionally abused, there's still, it wasn't a good time in your life. And to justify maybe your distance from your parents, you may tell yourself like, well, this is my mom. My, my mom always said I was simple, like, you know, but then at the same time, he still misses his parents. Like you see that in the way he takes care of his mom. Um, yeah. Also, one scene that I laughed at both times mm-hmm. was there's a scene where Jake's uh, the girlfriend character comes in to talk to Jake and he's feeding Tony Collette as a very elderly woman. And um, the girlfriend says something about like, <laughs> like, I hate the way we treat our elderly. Like, it's like we put them all in warehouses she kind of just nonchalantly says that, and then she leaves the room. And as she's leaving the room, Tony Collette just goes, "I don't want to live in a warehouse." And it every time got me. Like I laughed so hard. I thought it was just so funny. I also kept laughing every time Oklahoma came up, but mostly because I was just like, "Is this happening?" Like, yeah. Oh my! I, we haven't gotten to the ballet yet, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, what else was I gonna say? So I did um, look up because. Go ahead. The girls that, um, so the next scene after they leave the farmhouse, after they have the whole uh, woman under the influence conversation, they decide we're going to go to Tulsi Town. And, uh, yes, which originally was Dairy Queen, Ah. by the way. Like it was Dairy Queen. Um, but apparently Dairy Queen didn't like the fact that one of the waitresses had sores all over her arms and was serving customers. So they said, no, thank you, Mr. Kaufman. We would not like to be in your film. So they uh, named it Tulsi Town. I do think it's interesting. So I know earlier we see the girl that has the bruises in the eye. Maybe, I don't know if it's bruises or a skin condition, but the girl in the ice cream shop, uh, he does see her in the hallway. So Janitor mm-hmm. Jake sees the girl in the hallway and she's at the ice cream shop. I don't well, know. And what- the two other girls are in the play. Like they're the little popular girls in the play. So they're all little high school girls. Yeah, but I was wondering, I didn't know exactly why she had the bruises on her arm. And when Jake gives her the money, you see the same bruises on his hand, too. Yeah, I think he's just uh, deflecting, like, maybe he did have a skin condition. Mm -hmm. And he was very, maybe he had it during high school and he was really embarrassed about it and people would make fun of him. And maybe he just reflected that in that part of his psyche and yeah. put that girl's face on it. I think that was more of, it was like a self-reflection. Um, the great part about the Tulsi Town sequence is it leads into this weird dream sequence at the end where the janitor is watching a Tulsi Town animated commercial, which yeah. they made for this movie using the animators from Anomalisa um, and the music team from Schenectady. Schenectady. Um, but they based it on an actual Dairy Queen commercial from like the 40s that was super oh. creepy. And so they just kind of made it. Charlie Kaufman wrote some lyrics for um, the new the Tulsi Town commercial. But it's based on like a, apparently he found it, I think probably online. He had just seen this commercial because he wanted to have like a creepy like commercial thing going on. And that is based on like a really old DQ commercial. 
So DQ is Dairy Queen, by the way. I think I don't even know if people know DQ stands for Dairy Queen anymore because I yeah. don't think they've been called Dairy Queen for a long time. Always in my head, uh, I hear that. Remember when we were kids? Hot eats, cool treats. We treat you right. Like I, <laughs> I just remember there wasn't one near me. There was only one like it was like thirty minutes away from my house. So going to Dairy Queen was quite the treat because I always wanted the dipped cones, even yeah. though I honestly like. The blurries better definitely they're definitely my favorite but i always like remember seeing the dipped cones it's like that's really cool but um is it it's blurries right uh blizzards i'm sorry blizzards blizzards because they're the that's ones always do. that's the best mm-hmm. yeah blizzards I'm, are definitely the best i'm a hot fudge malt type girl i like my malts so which taylor oh thinks you need to go <laughs> There is an ice cream shop. My my parents are from Cincinnati, Ohio, and there is an ice cream shop. It's over 100 years old. There's actually two of them called Eglamisi's Brothers. It's spelled with an A. Um, it, it's a Greek family, but it's French ice cream. And um, it looks like a French, like, they have Tiffany lamps in there, and it's, like, all marble, and they've got these old-fashioned things. But, oh, my God, they have the best malts in the entire world. And every time we go, because we go every time we're in Cincinnati, so a couple times a year, my parents always split a malt. And the last time I went, I think I got a banana malt. And it was so good. But it was like the best malt in the entire world. And they come with these little flour butter cookies. And they put them over your straw. And Aww. it's just... And my grandparents met there too, by the way. So that's why we always go. Because my grandpa held the door open for my grandmother when she was like 14. And her and her mom. And then a couple years later, they started dating. And um, that was like where they had their first date. So my grandpa used to... Sneak us over to Iglamisi's before dinner <laughs> and pay us $5 to not tell our grandma that we had spoiled our appetite and that we still had to eat everything. But um, that's what that was like my grandpa's last meal was a malt from uh, Iglamisi's. And uh, yeah, it's just, and my grandma always like malts and shakes from Iglamisi's. Um, and one of their relatives still works there. Like one of their children still works there. Like he doesn't work there very often because he's very elderly. But um, it's still hopping. I hope it has survived COVID because uh, my heart would break in twain if Eglamisi's wasn't there when I went back to Cincinnati. Um, Graders sucks and Eglamisi's rules. I'm sorry. Graders is the other ice cream chain. But Oprah likes it. So everyone started eating Graders. Um, but Eglamisi's is a much better ice cream experience. Graders has good flavors, though. I'll give them that. Their black raspberry chocolate chip is pretty good. Anyways, old-fashioned ice cream. Tulsi Town's really creepy. Yeah, yeah, they drive all the way to a, a Dairy Queen, Tulsi Town, in the middle of a blizzard. And I was like, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? Especially because it's like a reminder, too. Like, because the girls are like, other than the girl with the bruises or the skin condition, it's it's a reminder. The other two girls were laughing that Jake's an outsider. People are cruel to him. He's, like, self-isolated. So it kind of felt like almost like Jake, because he even says he's like, oh, they won't serve me. You go up there. So it almost felt like self-punishment yeah. in a way. Yeah. And he's yeah. like an adult. And I was like, what do you mean? They're teenagers. They have to serve you. Yeah. Exactly. And all I could think about is like earlier when like the girls make fun of the gender as it's, as he's walking by. And you're just like, oh, yeah, this is. I mean, if they're not already hitting you over the head, they're definitely hitting you over the head now. Yeah. Um, 
Although, I don't know, maybe the janitor was a creep. I'm not really sure. It was kind of weird. It could be, I don't know. I've had that happen where I've had, like, an older relative, like, kind of wistfully look at you. And I know it's just that they're like, wow, when I was young. But sometimes yeah. you're like, why are you staring at me? And, like, yeah. but it, if you're a kind soul, you'll probably just be like, oh, they're just, like, remembering when I was young. I had a moment like that at a family reunion, and I was like, what's going on? And then I was like, oh, he's just, like, reminiscing. That's cool. Yes. But I knew the person personally, so I knew. But I think if it was just a random old man staring at me, I'd probably be like, um, can you please stop? But I don't yeah. think I'd be cruel like those girls were. I know. And sometimes, hey, Siri, turn the lights to white. Hey, Siri, turn the fan off. Got it. Uh, sometimes, because uh, every once in a while, I'll have older men. Um that literally comment like I had an older man one time was like you look like one of my old girlfriends I'm like I guess that's a compliment but I'm just not going to respond to it so yeah did you I know tell you about the guy that thought I was a child last week oh my god there was there was an advertisement with a little girl when I was checking someone in at work mm -hmm. and this man just went is that you and I was like no sir that's a child I know I just was like I'm not a child and he was like well I thought maybe it was you when you were younger and I was like no yeah okay have a great day you're like I don't know how to answer that but yeah that and made it, me laugh exactly it's like a lot of times they're not they're not they're being well-meaning it's just that they don't really know there's like a a communicational gap where they're not it's not really something that always that's appropriate, but you're just kind of rolling with it a little bit. Um, so it does bring us to the next scene where they ended up, Jake's like, we're going to go to the damn high school to throw these things away. And you're just like, what in the actual hell? And she is like, obviously getting uncomfortable because she's like, we keep driving further into the woods. And he's like, it's a rural high school. And then she's like, no, this doesn't make sense. There should be fucking pavements, you know? And, he gets to the parking lot and he literally says, I know it like the back of my hand. And you see his hand and it's old. Mm -hmm. And you're just. <laughs> also, she says, I went to a rural high school too. And it's like, oh, yes, you did. Because you're the same person. Exactly. And I find I did have to make a note of it. I am. I, I don't want to get into like a heavy debate about it. I don't know how you feel, but I actually um, am on the Jake side of Baby It's Cold Outside. I don't see it as a rape song myself. Oh, I don't either. And the yeah. person the person who wrote it's children are so furious about that. I don't, I do think it's a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. By today's standards. By today's standards. I do think the song is supposed to be more of getting somebody who is okay with sleeping over to know that it's okay to sleep over i think it's more yeah. of that than anything else because back then yeah if you spent the night at your boyfriend's house it's no one's business if you're having sex with your boyfriend or not or girlfriend what have you but like if you did back in the 40s and 50s or 30s i think it might have been written yeah, in the 30s. I think it was the 30s you know people would be like you're a whore but i think the guy's like you're not a whore we just i want to spend more time with you i think that's more of it and I think when she says, say what's in this drink, she's like, is it a magic potion? I think it's supposed to be more silly. Yeah. Now, Rufy, I, supposedly it was like a mock joke at the time that like people all the time would be like, hey, what's in this drink? Like, you know, in that yeah, like, like yeah. accent. So I don't think, I think it's a different, it can be read as a different song nowadays. But if you look at the lingo of the 1930s, it's a, actually a very innocent song. 
Um, it is. And it's one of my favorite holiday songs. And yeah. I am so mad people are, because it isn't playing on the radio as much. I'm like, it's not about date rape. Don't so ruin everything. We had a friend, uh, well, we, I don't know if I would say a friend, but acquaintance that we went to college with, I remember wrote a status a few years back that said, it's a trash song for trash people. I'm like, I guess I'm trash then, because I like the song. So... <laughs> Like my favorite holiday song. I would love to sing holiday karaoke that song with any someone come sing with me. I love Baby It's Cold Outside. Um yeah. yeah, I mean I think you can definitely take it as that. Didn't they did they or did they not do like a Bill Cosby spoof about that song? Oh god. I, 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 I feel like maybe it. they did. I haven't heard it, but I believe it totally. Or maybe it was a joke that they were like, and in this holiday special, Bill Cosby sings Baby It's Cold Outside. And then the girl just passed out or something. I feel like I've seen that, which is not funny. But also, I mean, but you got to make fun of it to laugh. You got to laugh sometimes. Yeah. But date rape is not funny, y'all. It's not funny. But I don't think that song's about date rape. I think it's about, come on, let's go have sex. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't even think, like, it's necessarily, like, actually sex. I think it's more like, right. I think he more enjoys her company and he's wanting her to stay longer because he's enjoying right. he wants company. to spend time with her. Like, I think we all remember, like, the first time we slept over at, like, a significant other's house and, like, because you just want to hang out with the person, not necessarily. Like, I, I know, like, the first boy that I spent the night with, like, it wasn't that we were having sex. We just, like, wouldn't to spend more time with each other. Yeah. And we spent the whole night talking. And so, I had- like, I think that's what it is. I have friends in the past too, where in uh, including male friends, where it's I swear on the Bible, it's nothing sexual, but I'm just so enjoying the conversation that mm-hmm. something I looked up and I was like, it is two a.m. I probably should go, you know. Right. And, you and know, then you say, "What's in this drink?" and you pass out. I'm just exactly, kidding. exactly. I'm just like, "Hey, you've been feeding me alcohol." No, I'm a grown ass woman. I realize what I'm being, what I'm drinking, or what I'm eating. Uh, yeah. So, but, I mean, I think that's where the song is more... Uh, to my knowledge, it was actually per- by the guy who composed it. He was married, and him and his wife usually do. I did the song together, too. It's something I've read before. Right. So, And I think a lot of these, like, arguments he has with the girlfriend character is more like, I wish I had someone to debate with. So I think she's always the argumentative side, because he wishes he had had somebody intellectual to share conversations with. Yeah. I think that's more of it, which is really sad. It's sad. But- yeah, in a lot of ways, it's like a dream woman. I, I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in this idea of maybe how some people see like their dream man or their dream woman as some, somebody that just agrees with them. That's not necessarily the case. I feel like you want someone that's going to um, challenge you in a lot of ways, challenge your views and stuff. That makes mm-hmm. something, that makes life more interesting. Um, yeah. If you don't just I, routine. Yeah. I, and I mean, just in friends too, like I never... It's, I like to have commonalities with people mm-hmm. in my life that I'm close to, but I think if you're the exact same person, I think it's really boring, and I think I've always kind of ended up dating people that are very similar to me, but we're different in enough ways that it's exciting, because I'm sorry, it's boring to agree with people on every single facet of life. Like, me and Brittany don't always agree with every movie. Yeah, It would be boring if we did. And I think that's, I don't know, I like having friends and loved ones that don't 110% agree with me, but also don't get angry at me for not agreeing with them. Like, I think you have to know that everybody has different experiences. And even, like, you might agree with somebody 
five years down the line on the same point, but it, sometimes you need five more years to get to their point mm-hmm. because you've had a different life experience, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing about, that's probably what he wants out of life is to have a partner that he can have a discussion with yeah. and who, you know, can like not be offended by, oh, we don't 110% agree with each other. Because life's boring if you agree on everything. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. That's what I was getting from it. Me too. And I think this is actually going to lead us into a scene you've probably been dying to talk about. The, the school scene? Yeah. Where it just gets all fucking weird, but lovely. I love it. Um, yeah. I First, I hated it because there's like, so Jake drives up to the school and is like, oh, like I got to go to this dumpster. And then he's gone for a while. And, and he kind of turns character... off like, tee hee hee hee. Like, that's yeah. like. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? And at first he doesn't take the keys with him. And then I was like, oh, okay. He left the car on, so she's not going to freeze to death. There's a blizzard going on. And then he comes back, and they start kissing. And he's like, that janitor's looking at us. I'm going to go tell him what for. And he takes the keys with him during a blizzard. And she's out there for, like, a long time. And she can't find him. So she finally gets out of the car. And I cannot believe she shut the door. Yeah. Because she shut the door, locked herself out. And then she goes into the school and at first is like hiding from the janitor trying to find Jake, which I thought was so funny because I was like, I mean, you're an adult and he's an adult and there's a blizzard going on. Can't you just be like, hey, I locked myself out of my car and there's a blizzard. It was kind of irrational that she was hiding from him. But also like if she's part of his psyche, maybe that's what's going on. Um, but there's this lovely scene where like he takes out the slippers that Jake offered her at his house earlier that night you're like oh no he is the janitor because they have the same slippers and he's like hey I've been waxing the floor can you wear these slippers in here and then she and Jake see each other across the hall and then all of a sudden their ballet counterparts step behind them and they're dressed similarly but not exactly like them and there's this lovely ballet sequence throughout the school and it somewhat mirrors it, what happens in the ballet sequence is what happens in most of the ballet sequence of Oklahoma, which there's more in Oklahoma and it's different music because they uh, had their composer actually composed uh, new music for this, which I think the music is really beautiful. And I have been trying to find the soundtrack and haven't been able to. And I'm kind of sad because I really liked the themes they kept playing. It was really pretty. Um, but basically... They go through, like, this lovely dance of love through the hallways. And um, this is when I just started laughing hysterically. Because I was like, "Are they? is this the ballet? Are we having a ballet in the middle? Okay. Um, okay. This is fine. Also, the dancers do an amazing job. I don't know who choreographed it, but it's great. Um, also, by the way, I noticed that the girl who's playing dancer girlfriend is totally wearing jazz shoes. Like, jazz sneakers. She just, like decorated them like like the shoes that the army boots that girlfriend was wearing and I was like I see those jazz shoes girl because you can't dance like that in regular shoes it does not work very well um but they go through like they go through like this beautiful love story they're dancing and then they get married and all of a sudden this elderly was it the janitor was that the same guy okay yeah yeah the janitor character marries them and it's beautiful I think it may have been different pastor character I'm so sorry it was 
Yeah. But an older guy just pops, a priest just pops out of nowhere, marries them. And then the janitor, a guy dressed as a janitor, starts fighting with, uh, who steals the girlfriend character, like Judd's character steals Lori's character in the ballet. Because, by the way, if you've ever seen a musical ballet, there's one in Oklahoma, it's usually the end of the first act, and it's usually foreshadowing things that are going to happen in the second act. So it's kind of like, ooh, ooh, this is pretty dance, but also, guess what's going to happen in the next act? Stay after intermission, because this is, again, before we had, like, movies and shit, so we had intermission. Um, so there's also one in West Side Story um, as well, and it kind of does the same thing. But the it, it often foreshadows things that might happen. In Oklahoma, Lori... Um, is hanging out with her girlfriends before this big party and she has these smelling salts and this uh trader tells her like hey it'll show you your future and so she like kind of f- takes a nap and like dreams the ballet sequence and so there's not really Lori the person who plays Lori generally isn't ballet Lori and the person who plays Curly generally isn't ballet Curly I think we had the same people play them though because we had a pretty small cast i can't remember it's been a long time but usually there's separate dancers so like it's it's normal that it's not the actual actors doing the ballet sequence that's actually the norm so i think they did the proper thing i was like charlie coffin's definitely seen some musicals because that is exactly what you would do you would have a dancer version of lori and a dancer version of curly so anyways the janitor steals her away that's what judd fry does in the ballet musical and then he and curly fight and he in the ballet sequence he stabs curly and curly dies so jake gets stabbed by the janitor and he dies and the girlfriend gets kind of drug away um in the play oklahoma obviously judd's the one that gets killed but in the musical i think one of the reasons their excuses for Lori, um kind of staying away from Curly is because she sees the dream of Judd killing him and she's kind of afraid to like be with him because it might anger Judd I think so it's kind of it's like a dream it turns into a nightmare in Oklahoma it's a lot more I mean like I said there's some stuff in Oklahoma I just hate all the characters so uh they're just terrible people I don't know it's like watching um like I, I actually like Seinfeld but you know like everyone's kind of an asshole in Seinfeld, like, like the season finale where, like, they all get arrested because they've been douchebags to everybody for years. It's kind of like that. That's the music. It's the, it's, it's the Seinfeld of musicals. Entertaining, but everyone's kind of... It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is probably a better version because those people are assholes and it's very... I love that show, but they're all assholes. Um, but, yeah, it's this beautiful ballet sequence. And the light, like, there's all of a sudden all this beautiful light just everywhere it's like daytime and they're dancing and they're using like the school and I just I thought it was really cool but it's obviously that Jake kind of like gives up on himself because the janitor self kills the younger dream self the happy self yeah and kind of gives into suicide yeah and you literally see the young woman walk away and it's like it's, it's definitely the idea that like and I think it's reflected in the final musical number two. In a lot of ways, he thinks of himself yes. as Judd. He doesn't get yes. the girl. No, Judd doesn't get the girl. Um, and I think that was my... F- okay, first of all, there's two things about the last scene. So, oh, and there's also a part in between where we see the janitor character go out into his truck and take all of his clothes off 
because you I know there's that whole rumor attack. yeah he, he's i thought he was having a heart attack i think i actually wrote down is the janitor having a heart attack is he jake is jake dying i'm confused is basically what i wrote yeah oh is that janitor having a heart attack is it jake that's literally what i wrote um also and you see the tulsi town clown commercial and the pig that Jake told the story about these pigs having to be put down because they were being eaten alive by maggots. And the one of the pigs comes, and I think, is Oliver Platt the pig? Yes. Yeah, he's the pig. I thought, that's why I was like, the voice I thought was familiar. So Oliver Platt narrates this pig, like, saying, like, hey, sometimes life sucks. But basically he, I, I think we're meant to think that the janitor froze to death in his car. Yeah, and so I thought the same thing. So I took the pigs. So, okay, so there's two things that I took from that scene. One was the Tulsi's town scene. And, you know, me being, like, a emo kid. Like, I'm like, when I was a young boy. Because I'm like, uh-huh. oh, the Tulsi clown is coming to take him, like, essentially, uh, yeah. to the afterlife. And then you see the pig. And I feel like the pig was probably something that Jake saw very young growing up on the farm and it probably terrified him and then as he got older there's things that we see taste of death too yeah introduction to death yeah exactly and i feel like a lot of us have these experiences when we're children that are initially traumatic to us and then as adults we're like that's a part of life and so the pig like even says he's like hey it you know it sucks but someone's got to be the one eaten by maggots might might as well be you and it kind of feels like maybe the pig now to Jake is like he sees himself in that pig a little bit yeah. and it doesn't scare him like it used to. It also reminded me, this is a really dorky reference, but um, not dorky, nerdy. The last Harry Potter book, or not the play, the Deathly Hallows, the story of the Deathly Hallows, the end of the story where the, the brother and death walked hand in hand as equal. Yeah. Like, I was kind of like, oh, it's like death being a friend and ushering you in. Yeah. Because, like, he kind of kills himself, but I think he kind of just freezes to death after having a panic attack. So I don't think it's quite suicide so much as giving up on life and letting it happen to you. Yeah. If that makes sense. I think there is a distinct difference between, like, consciously killing yourself and kind of just letting death happen to you. I think think it was a little calmer and a little more like an acceptance of the inevitability but it's kind of sad so the pig walks him through the hall also he's completely naked so props to that actor i he kind of ushers him in and then there's this this i this might have been my favorite sequence i thought the ballet was and then this sequence happens and i i saw what was gonna happen before it happened only because i've seen oklahoma so like many times um, so there's this auditorium and the set is obviously Oklahoma because it has the, oh. it always has the barn and the field. Half the yes. set Oklahoma and half the set's a beautiful mine. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, but then the whole audience are people in old person makeup, including the girlfriend character, all the people we've seen the whole movie, they're all out there. And they all have stage makeup on, like they're elderly. And I was like, ah, I like it because it's stage makeup. And then Tony Collette is sitting on the stage as Aunt Eller from Oklahoma. And then he makes a speech, and it's the speech from A Beautiful Mind. 
And before I knew that it was a speech from a beautiful mind, which I have seen, I wrote down, how did I know he was about to say love at the like last line? And then like when I read that it was the speech from a beautiful mind, I was like, oh, because I've already heard that speech before and it's probably embedded in my brain somewhere. Um, and then the Judd, Judd Fry set comes on stage, like it's rolled on stage. And he sits down on the bed and sings the entirety of Lonely Room from Oklahoma, which is actually a very, very cool song. And it's all about Judd Fry, like, determined to, like, go out and get himself a wife because, like, he's sick of just dreaming about Lori and her soft, warm arms. And he just, you know, he's going to, I think the last time I was like, get going out, going on outside, get myself a brat. Find me a woman to call my own. I'm butchering the tune, but like that's the end. And it's uh, he it, that is apparently Jesse Plemons singing. Yeah, the actor. He does a very good job. Um, and he's an old age makeup too. And then it just kind of ends, and there's credits over the janitor's car in the ice and snow, like as the day breaks. So <laughs> there's a cameo. Yeah, uh, Meryl, of course. Canada is being a, she's won me felt for football again. Yep. Oh, Canada. <laughs> we say uh, that. Uh, it's a wonderful sequence, and I'm it. I like I said, I hate the musical Oklahoma, but I think it's very fitting if you know the character of Judd Fry, who is often very ignored when people talk about Oklahoma, but he's probably the most interesting character everybody else is pretty flat in Oklahoma they don't really change a lot Curly and Lori do become kind of better people like not really but they they kind of they at least admit they love each other and get married I guess is their dynamic change but Judd has is a lot more interesting because like he's got a lot more stuff going on he's got a lot of mental issues and anger issues and this woman's throwing herself at him, but then she's saying, no, I don't like you. And he's very confused. And, like, I think he's a much more sympathetic character than a lot of people. A lot of people would want to paint this character as a flat black and white villain, but he's really not. He's really, I don't think he's a good person, but I think we can see where he's coming from. And I think the good performances of Judd are the ones that find the sympathy in his character because yeah. I've seen like high schools do it and people are just like he's just a bad asshole I'm like I mean he's not a good person you don't go stabbing people if you're a nice person but I think we can all see where he's coming from because like he has been kind of thrown around by these two people who have just kind of messed with him mentally yeah. and you know when you play with fire you're gonna get burned scarecrow to quote Wizard of Oz but um, no, I, I don't think no one deserves to get stabbed or no one ever deserves like to be relentlessly chased by a guy they're not interested in or a girl they're not interested in. Um, I also feel like if Jake has seen Oklahoma enough times and now that we like it's, it's been established that Jake is janitor Jake and he's at least 50, if not older then like he's may have seen like, oh, maybe 10, 15 different productions of Oklahoma. It's obviously he sees himself in the Judd character. Well, also, I found it interesting. Another clue that the janitor is Jake is all the almost all the musicals he lists are Golden Age musicals, which are Rodgers and Hammerstein. He lists 
Oklahoma, South Pacific, Flower Drum Song, Carousel, Guys and Dolls, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Pajama Gang, uh, Music Man, King and I, Pal Joey, Sound of Music, On the Town, uh, and My Fair Lady. All of those are Golden Age. And then also Charlie's Aunt, which I had never heard of before. That was the only one I hadn't heard of yet. And then, of course, uh, Grease Cabaret and Lion King Phantom and Wicked, which are newer, but they're so popular that even golden age musical people would probably listen to them. Like, I feel like, I feel like uh, anybody has listened to those. Not and Hamilton, not though. modern too- either. Like, what, even, like, Wicked, like, 2004? Like, would that Yeah, be- I always forget Wicked's kind of older now. Yeah. He did not mention Rent, though, because apparently he's not okay with people living in Greenwich Village fighting AIDS, I guess. I don't know. I was like, everyone's heard Rent. I mean... Yeah. Anyways, um, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop talking about musicals. You're good. I feel like that's kind of, it's our, I mean, that's, that's kind of the movie. Um, it's a lot to unpack. Um, I said, like, one of my closing thoughts is, like, if you pick out five or six pop culture references and stories you have read and the movies you have seen, and you construct an entire story around them, you may understand some of the references, but you're not going to understand them all. Yeah, especially not first watch. It does have all the Kaufman tropes, though, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. Flowers, that he always has, like, flowers or flowery stuff. In this movie, it's all on the wallpaper since it is during winter. Um, a lot of inner monologues interspersed throughout scenes. Long corridors. There's a lot with the school with those long corridors. There's this one sequence where she's just going up and down stairs. Mm. She's going through the same staircase, which reminded me of the Big Bang Theory because they do that a lot on that show. And once I found out it was the same staircase that they have to keep just refilming and redressing every time, I was like, oh, that's a chore and a half. Um, And then aging, time, philosophical debates. What does life even mean? That's always a theme. And then, um, yeah, never-ending or repetitive actions too. So it has all the, it has all the good Kaufman tropes in it. Also little interludes of like animation or like, like in, uh, uh, being John Malkovich, he does like, there's puppets, the whole thing about puppets, which I honestly kind of creeped me out, but the puppets in being John Malkovich, they're a little too much like people. And I don't, I don't know. There's something very creepy about them because they're like life-size puppets. I'm like, I'm fine with puppets if they're tiny. But when they're life-size, I'm like, uh, we're getting into some creepy, like, uh, chitty-chitty, bang-bang, people getting turned into puppets territory that I don't like. So, yeah. But I, I think it's a solid Kaufman movie. I think it is super enjoyable if you're a Kaufman fan. Which yeah. is why I pretty much give it a 9 out of 10. But if you're not a Kaufman fan... You're probably not going to like it. Like, if you don't like thinking about what it means, or if you don't like philosophical stuff at all, and I'm light on the philosophical, yeah, I think, but I still enjoy it because it's an entertaining enough movie. I do feel like some people, there are a lot of reviews here that's just like, why? Just why? And oh my gosh, it's so pretentious. And I think... Those people, probably not the movie for you. But again, it's on Netflix, so it's not really costing you anything extra to watch it or to waste some time. Just turn it off if you're not interested, you know? I can agree with that. Um, I personally, I gave it 8 out of 10. Um, I like it. Um, I don't think it's a bad movie. 
Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I, me, my personality, um, I, I like puzzles. So if something's like puzzling and I want to try to figure out and look for little clues, um, that's kind of like my bread and butter. I love it. Um, my biggest complaint is I just, once again, thought some of the conversations were meandering, especially the long stints with, um, Jake and the young woman in the car. Yeah. I thought they were a little long-winded. Um, there's interesting things said. The performances were good. It's just that it felt like it went on forever, um, both times for me. So, I guess I was only bored the sec that a woman under the influence part. That was really the only one that really bothered me. Also, by the way, did you know that the car sequences are 17 and 22 minutes separately? So it's like uh, 40 minutes spent yeah. in a car, basically. I believe it. Which is interesting because it doesn't feel that way in the, especially the beginning scene. The second time I watched it, they got to the house way faster than I remembered. I was like, oh my God, are we here already? Yeah. Um, but I did speed through the, uh, the woman under the influence part. Cause that, I, yeah, that's probably the only part that really bothered me. I guess that's why I still kept nine out of 10. It could change though. It might go down to an eight. I definitely think Eternal Sunshine is a much stronger movie and Synecdoche. I would. I wonder if I'm going to like Synecdoche better or worse than this. I think uh, Synecdoche was actually, and I always say Syndicate. Uh, it's one, usually I mispronounce words for a very long time because I read them in my head. Well, and then he I kind of, it, yeah. It's kind of a play on an actual word. Yeah. But it's not an actual place. But that's why it's, I think it's hard to really remember how to pronounce that one too because like, he kind of made it up, but he kind of didn't. It's, like, based on, like, it has an etymology, but it's kind of yeah. a play on words. Rob, um, uh, Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert, Roger, what the fuck am I trying to call him? Roger Ebert actually named uh, Syndicate, New York, uh, the best movie of the decade when he did a review, which I think yeah. is a very high accolade. Um, high yeah, exactly. So, I mean... It is a brilliant movie. Um, I will not deny that or discredit it. But like I said, I loved it. I thought it was beautiful, amazing, thought-provoking. It stays with you. But, man, it wore me physically out watching that movie. Like, I just cannot describe it any other way. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I kind of, maybe it's because I enjoy musicals more. Like, by the time it took the turn into, like, hi, we're doing a ballet, and we're just going to sing Lonely Room, I just was, oh, I'm like, sorry. enjoying I was it. Uh, I oh, was Cineke. Okay, yeah. sorry. I'm so sorry. You're just like, wow, that's a lot of, whoo, long-winded notes. Talking about Cineke, that's, uh, that's the movie. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed, um, I'm thinking of any things. I, I thought it was, like, an amusing watch. Like, I, I liked the movie. I enjoyed watching it. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's one of my favorites. No, I yeah. definitely, I don't know. Maybe I'm more of an eight then. I might be more of an eight or a seven. But I really like it right now. It's probably going to turn into an eight, I would say. Because I feel like Eternal Sunshine is so much more my speed because it's so much happier. But it was nice to see someone using musicals to tell yeah. a story. And a musical that people know but maybe don't understand as well. Because mm -hmm. everyone, every time I tell people I don't like the musical Oklahoma, everyone's like, Why? You like musicals, and then I go into my whole explanation, and they're like, "Huh, I didn't. I don't really think about musicals that deeply, but okay. I mean, but I again, I had to analyze them for four years in college, so maybe that's my problem. I don't know. I don't know why I have such a deep hatred for that musical. I mean, I've told you, but it's not hurting me. It's I don't know. It really. There's not a whole lot of things that bother me, but I do not like." 
the main characters of Oklahoma. I don't understand. I generally like the main characters in uh, Rogers and Hammerstein's musicals. They're generally pretty redeemable, even if they're not perfect. Not so in Oklahoma, but that's okay. Everyone, people don't have to be perfect to be good characters. At least they're interesting, and I can talk about them for 20 minutes by themselves. Um, yeah, did you have a rating for this? I did, actually. I rated it P for paid fucking roads and maggot-infested pigs. I also had another rating that may be better. It's P for poets, pigs, and paid fucking roads. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be it. But I had quite a few for (laughs) pigs. Wait, pigs, poetry pigs. Poets, uh, pigs, and paid fucking roads. I really like that one. Uh, I think, well, I had one that was like rated T for the Tulsi Town Clown, but <laughs> no. Uh, I had two that were rated O, and one was rated O for Oklahoma is a depressing musical. And the second <laughs> one was rated O for old timers in Oklahoma. Oh. And then rated W for what's her name? Like all one word, like that, that, um, the Green Day song. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's her? Also, What's her yeah. Thing? yeah. Yeah. And that's a character, I think, in American Idiot. They just name one of the characters. What's her name? Mm-hmm. Um, and then rated I for I don't want to live in a warehouse. But that's just because I really like that line. Mm-hmm. But I like yours better. I think it's cuter. Um, so next week is we're going to do Spooptober, oh. episode one. Yeah. So, Next week's episode should be um, on the first week of October, or as we're going to start calling it, Spooktober, because it's spoopy season or spooky season, whatever we want to call it. So we're going to do kind of something a little different, shake it up. Um, The first week of October, I'm going to pick, since it's my turn, five movies that are streaming that you should check out. Um... For the Halloween season. Um, Obviously we like spooky movies. So we're pretty into Halloween. I would say. I think Brittany you've already decorated your house. For Halloween. I think I saw. Yes. So that's It looks really cute. Thank you. Thank you. We actually don't even have the whole yard decorated yet. We've got some of the stuff inside. And we got some of the stuff near the door. But yeah we still have a whole yard that we're going to be working on. So. It's all good. I'm not decorating until October. Because I'm moving into a house if all goes well in October. Um, if all goes not well, I'll be at my parents' house and I'll just decorate their house. It's fine. <laughs> we'll combine our spoopiness. Um, so next week, I'm going to have five movies that are streaming that you should watch for Halloween if you haven't already. And I'm going to surprise Brittany because she doesn't know which ones I'm going to mention. And then next week, Brittany's going to have five different ones for me. And then we're going to pick one from each other's list to do the next two weeks. So... The next week, I'll pick one from Brittany's list, and she'll pick one from my list, and then we'll have four Spooptober spectacular episodes, hopefully, and it's it's an experiment, so we'll see if we like it, or if we just want to do, like, a countdown, and I think, I think no rules, we can, we can do classics, we can do new movies, as long as they're spooky or Halloween themed, I think. I don't even think it has to. I don't know. Do you, do you want to stick to scary? 
Because I know there's some fun Halloween movies I have, but I, I, think, I think I think if it has a or a element of horror or thriller to it, so for example, like Evil Dead could fall under it. It's Evil Dead's like a horror comedy. So with like something like Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, mm-hmm. or even something like The Sixth Sense. So as long as it has like a horror or a thriller mm-hmm. element. It doesn't have to be the main focus of the movie, but as long as there's like an underline of that, I think that's the main thing. It has to be spooky. So like me personally, I love Hocus Pocus. It's a classic. I wouldn't necessarily say something like Hocus Pocus would be. Um, unless you want to disagree. Uh, I would say let's maybe pick like a bonus one that isn't spooky, but you always have to watch every Halloween. Because right. there are definitely, there's definitely one or two that are streaming that I wouldn't call spooky, but are Halloween themed that I love. So I think we can each have like a bonus one or two that like, hey, you should also watch this one if you don't want to watch something scary. Although yeah. we do watch spooky, scary, and strange movies. That is the name of the game on Grindhouse Girls Pod cast. So I'm gonna let Brittany go. We both we're both off tomorrow, but we're also running errands because we're adults and your off day never actually means you're off. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see you guys later. Stay spoopy, y'all. Spoopy y'all. Have a good night, Katie. Good night, Brittany. I know I'm falling asleep. Bye. Good night. (laughs) Love you guys. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by katie dale and Brittany ray and edited by katie dale all music used is royalty free and will be in our annotations if you have any questions comments suggestions please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com thanks for listening we'll see you soon